no matter who you are or what brand of education or technology you work in, there's a pretty big problem that we all live with. You might have heard about it this year from a pretty famous podcast that came out called, well, The Problem We All Live With. This American Life and journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones dove deep into understanding what causes it, why it's so prevalent, and what it'll take to fix it. What is it? Well, it's the issue of segregation in schools and the giant learning gaps that that can cause between white students and students of color. This week, the EdSurge team headed to the New School Venture Fund Conference in Burlingame, California, where Nicole served on a panel with Enid Ray, the director of school choice for the Hartford Public School System in Hartford, Connecticut. Her district has attempted to desegregate schools, but not without struggles and difficulties. We sat down with her to get a better idea of how Hartford is doing and what she thinks it will take to get all students an equitable education. And with that, let's move into the news. I'm Mary Jamata on my own today while Blake Montgomery is on vacation. But no matter the loneliness, let's get to the good stuff. Many edtech CEOs use the word adaptive almost nonchalantly to describe what they do, writes EdSurge columnist Michael Horn. At the same time, they'll talk behind each other's backs, claiming other tools aren't really adaptive. So what gives? Much as the Christensen Institute, where he used to work, established a lingua franca for blended learning, Horn argues that adaptive learning needs a sound taxonomy, or it's at risk of becoming a meaningless buzzword. Plenty of sensitive data lives in the cloud, but with more than 90% of schools still using USB sticks, portable hard drives, and DVDs to transfer data, well, private information is literally walking right out the door. Mike Baker, founder of Mosaic 451, offers seven basic but essential things that you can do to protect both faculty and students. The first step, encrypt everything. You can hear the rest of his seven basic but essential tips on edsurge.com. When it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math, Bill Nye the Science Guy is an expert and an enthusiast, but at his May 5th Stanford lecture, he wasn't running experiments like on his popular 90s TV show. Rather, the Stanford guru delivered several important messages regarding science education, worldwide Wi-Fi inequality, and the realities of disruption. Every time I come to San Francisco, I see these posters for tech companies in the airport, and I think, not every tech tool is going to be disruptive, he said, but later adding, don't pressure yourselves to always have new amazing things. Incremental advances are good. There's a big mismatch among the U.S. teaching profession, Fewer than one in five public school teachers are individuals of color, but roughly half of public school students are so, according to a new U.S. Department of Ed report, The State of Racial Diversity in the Educator Workforce. The problem, it says, starts with the pipeline. Only 26% of enrollees in teacher prep programs are students of color. And now it's time for Kachings. First up, selling your company to Disney for $350 million would mark the pinnacle for most people's career. Not so for Lane Merrifield, whose Canadian digital student portfolio startup, FreshGrade, 
just raised $11.6 million in a Series A round. This funding brings back several investors who supported FreshGrade's $4.3 million seed round in 2014, including Reach Capital, Excel Partners, and Emerson Collective. TyNet, a software suite designed to help schools manage instructional, assessment, and other educational services for special needs students, has been acquired by PowerSchool. Terms were not disclosed. This deal marks PowerSchool's third acquisition, following its purchase of InfoSnap in November of 2015 and Interactive Achievement in February 2016. This is also the third acquisition since the company was sold by Pearson to Vista Equity Partners last year. These cities were giving up on integration. There was massive white flight. This is not a time of collective responsibility. And then, even more remarkable, in at least one city in Connecticut, it happened. In Hartford, they went from 11% of their students in integrated schools to nearly half. Now, as you may have guessed or recognized, that's a clip from The Problem We All Live With, that podcast that I was mentioning earlier. And in the podcast, we meet Enid Ray. Now, this woman is no stranger to controversy. And as This American Life described her, she's a powerhouse, a lawyer by training, and now the head of the school choice department in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, in a city like Hartford, where most people of socioeconomic background and race just don't mix neighborhoods, Enid's job has been, at least recently, to market magnet schools to parents and students from both neighborhoods, encouraging them to integrate. Okay, now, first off, before we get to the interview, you may be wondering, Ed Search podcast interviews usually delve into technology, project-based learning, that innovation word, which to this day still confuses me what people really mean when they say innovation. But when it comes to issues of equity and diversity, it's everyone's problem, both yours and mine. Again, it's the one we all live with. So we sat down with Enid to hear how she proved innovative in her approach to segregation, not to mention to ask what it's really going to take to turn efforts in one district into a viral movement. Let's get to the interview. I'm here with the fabulous Enid Ray. She is the executive director of the School Choice Office at Hartford Public Schools in Connecticut. Um, you also may recognize her because she was featured on the what I believe was probably the most popular podcast of the year by This American Life called The Problem We All Live With. And some of what was highlighted was your work with desegregation in, in your school district. So can you talk a little bit about what that work entailed? What did that look like from the ground? Yeah, I think that the um, piece on This American Life was so appealing to so many people because, you know, sometimes we talk about integration work, whether it be socioeconomic or racial integration work, and people wonder, well, how does this look like on the ground level? Mm -hmm. What are all the mechanisms and the mechanics that it takes mm -hmm. to really make this work happen? And the podcast was really kind of a day in the life of the executive director of choice as I moved through my work. Uh, working with schools, looking at our marketing opportunities, mm -hmm. looking at how do we compel families to really think about Hartford Public Schools as a quality uh, integrated district that has options and opportunities for their students. Mm -hmm. And how does one lead all those schools and, um, and, and parents and kids along that process of desegregation? I mean, you spoke on a panel today about this very um, idea. It's 
it's something that is different for a lot of families. And, and so what were some of the crucial steps that you felt like uh, were, were important for you and your staff to take throughout that process? Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of the work requires us to really be honest and transparent about the fact that we are working against uh, structural issues that don't necessarily always promote the work. In the city of Hartford, the fact that we have a desegregation lawsuit really helps enable mm, the work. Interesting. Because chef, uh, the chef settlement sets goals and expectations in terms of what our schools need to do to achieve integration. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other hand, you know, I think the way that my staff approaches this work is really helping families be the strategic planners of their child's educational future. Whether you're a Hartford urban family or a suburban family, we really want to engage you in the conversation around education and the educational resources you have today. Mm -hmm. Not the ones you wish you had, the ones that we're perhaps planning for the future for, but the ones that you have today. And how do you access those quality options and opportunities? And you're actually, I mean, just right now, you were saying earlier that you are going through the lottery process right now in Hartford. Um, uh, one of the themes that's kind of been popping up at this summit has been this idea of accountability, efficacy. How do you know when you've, when you've achieved the success that you want? What does that success look like for you in your district? Yeah, in Hartford, um, what's unique about it is that that accountability structure is already preset for us uh, through the um, various agreements that are negotiated as part of the lawsuit. Okay. So we are considered a success when our schools are meeting uh, integration at a 25% benchmark. That means that 25% of their school enrollment is not black or Latino. Uh, but could be white, uh, Pacific Islander, Asian. Um, and so that is a very clear benchmark. Mm -hmm. The reality, though, is that we have some schools that are very successful mm -hmm. that have been awarded through Magnet Schools of America and U.S. News and World Report as accolades you know, very uh, successful quality schools. Mm -hmm. And those schools, while they are socioeconomically integrated, mm -hmm. right now are not racially integrated. Mm -hmm. And so I think we struggle with that challenge of what, how is success measured in our community? And right now it's measured by an active um, agreement that really gives us benchmarks in terms of success. Mm. Uh, how we message that to families though is the tricky part, right? That a school may not be compliant, but they are achieving academic uh, success and performance. And so uh, we have to create dual tracks, really, um, to help families understand you know, that we in Hartford work not only on performance, but we also have a responsibility to work on integration in a very specific way. I could see it being challenging balancing that focus on performance with that focus on, on, on integrating schools better. It, it, do you find that those two things don't always go hand in hand with each other? Yeah, I do. And um, what's interesting about this work, at least for us, is that you know we don't often report on the performance of schools, mm -hmm. uh, even in the context of the lawsuit. What we report on is the integration measure. Right. And so there's almost an assumption that um, you know, integrated schools are quality schools, mm -hmm. and in our case, they've really turned out to be. But I would say that that has to be an intentional piece about the work mm -hmm. in other communities as they go about it. Mm -hmm. It's not just that integration alone 
will bring quality, that integration alone will bring in, you know, kind of the new norm of expectations mm -hmm. and, um, you know, interaction among students, staff, and parents. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that over the last, so how long have you been in the district for? So I've been in the district in this role now for five years, for five but years. I'm a Hartford Public School kid, so I graduated Board from bread. Hartford. All right. Schools. So you've seen it then, you've seen it from a lot of different perspectives, you know, as a student, as an administrator, you're a parent. Yes. Um, how do you see those different parties approaching these issues? You know, what, how do you have these conversations with students, with parents, with administrators, and sort of all get them talking to each other and all on the same page? Or do they even need to be all on the same page? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we try to promote where the points of agreement are. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, that I think in this work, sometimes we have blind spots. Mm -hmm. And the blind spots are about connecting the kind of aspirational or larger public policy vision of integration mm -hmm. and then what actually happens on the ground. Mm -hmm. Not every parent is happy about this, mm -hmm. right? Um, not every neighborhood um, sees a potential value in integration because really to do this work well some all of us have to give something up you know that's something that the keynote speakers um, have really uh, emphasized in this convening and a lot of what we give up is privilege mm -hmm. and so that's a very tricky place to even get systems to mm -hmm. right so systems also have to give up their privilege um, and in a place like Hartford, where we have, you know, 168 or 69 towns and municipalities, wow. all with home rule, mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's very difficult to have this conversation mm -hmm. because what we're really talking about is students crossing town borders, uh, folks feeling like, um, you know, uh, why uh, do I have to make uh, seats available in my community, mm -hmm. or I want to keep my students in my community. Um, and so, you know, we really try to work through those conversations kind of to the best of our ability, because some of it really is beyond what we're able to do in the choice office. But we always try to have the conversation in a real open and supportive, transparent way. And I know that you bring in white families, black families, Latino, Hispanic families, sort of everybody into the fold. One of the themes I've been sensing today from people is that sometimes those conversations do differ depending on where those families are coming from. How do you reconcile all of those different thoughts yeah. and, and backgrounds and maybe fears as well? Yeah, and I think for us, um, you know, we focus on uh, creating an understanding of, uh, again, the educational resources that the district has to offer today, mm -hmm. our efforts, you know, to really create equity and quality options for all of our students. Um, and as the choice director, I try to really encourage families to go see our schools, uh, whether they're considering a neighborhood school or they're considering a magnet or a charter, because mm -hmm. I do the lottery on the district side for our charter schools. Okay. Um, I really encourage them to see and visit our schools, you know, mm -hmm. and I often use the example like, you know, when I'm talking before parents like, you know, how many of you have gotten a recommendation to a restaurant that a friend raves about? Mm -hmm. And then you walk in there and you're like, oh, I don't know that I really like this mm -hmm. place. Well, schools are like that because what's one parent and one family th feels um, is great about a particular school 
may not be the right fit for another family. So unless you walk in and soak up the ecosystem, you just don't know. And we live in an urban environment in a capital city that comes with its own complexities of how do you do this work within the perception and the thoughts that people have about the capital city to begin with. Um, so it's a lot of work on engagement. And we work on an engagement continuum where we really try to move families from awareness and consideration of our schools to actually bonding and being advocates for the district. Wonderful. Well, there you have it, boots on the ground from the words of Enid Ray herself. Thank you so much for talking Thank you. us. A huge thanks to Enid Ray for hopping on the podcast with us for all her honesty. And also thanks to everyone else that we interviewed at the New School Venture Fund Conference. By the way, if you haven't checked out the This American Life podcast that Enid's featured on, do so immediately uh, or as soon as this one's over, that is. Okay, so one other quick note before I let you go. So did you know that we recently debuted a new newsletter? For years, EdSearch has delivered the Innovate newsletter on Wednesdays, featuring market trends and anything any entrepreneur or investor would want to know. And then on Thursdays, we produce Instruct, a newsletter for educators, administrators, and anyone who wants tips and tricks for using EdTech in various learning environments. But now we've got EdSurge Next, which features a full higher ed coverage from instructional design to what tools colleges and universities are using or not using. Interested in signing up? All you got to do is shoot a note to allison at edsurge.com. And well, that's it for this week. Uh, Anyone out there? Bueller? Bueller? Ah, well, next week, the podcast booth will once again be filled back up to the brim. Until then, I'm Mary Jo Matta. Thanks for listening. This is the Ed Surge Podcast. (laughs) 